Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Well, last Sunday, we introduced the book of Job, and we got the lay of the land by spending our time in chapters 1 and 2, because those two opening chapters set the stage for the 40 chapters that follow them. And we learn that Job is a righteous man. He is blameless, upright, and turns away from evil. He's also a wealthy man. He has seven sons, three daughters, plenty of servants, and lots of livestock. So in short, Job is blessed. He's even considered the greatest of all the people of the East. But then after the author introduces Job, he takes us behind the curtain to this scene in heaven where God calls his angels into his presence and an accuser comes along with them. The accuser suggests that Job doesn't really love God for who he is. Job only loves God for all the blessings that God has given him. The accuser even argues that if you take away all of his wealth, Job will curse God to his face. So, God allows the accuser to put his theory to the test. The accuser stretches out his hand against Job with only one limitation— You can take Job's wealth, but you can't touch Job. So Job loses everything. His servants are killed, livestock stolen, house destroyed, children dead. And yet Job doesn't curse God. Instead, we read in Job chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then the accuser doubles down on his bet that Job will curse God to his face. This time, God just has to let him touch Job. Let me touch his flesh and bone. And once again, God allows the accuser to do so. The only limitation this time is that you can't kill Job. So the accuser afflicts Job with a horrific skin disease. Job's wife even suggests that he curse God and die, but Job refuses. Even after all he's been through, all the devastation, Job says this, chapter 2, verse 10, speaking to his wife. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And then we read that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. But in addition to getting familiar with Job's story, we also briefly presented five big themes of the book, which we'll have up on the screen. The first is that righteous people suffer. The second is that Satan causes havoc. The third is that God is sovereign. The fourth is we don't know everything. And the fifth is that trusting in God is the proper response to suffering. Now, we acknowledge that these are big ideas, and some of them are incredibly difficult to wrap your mind around. We also admitted that after only one week in the book of Job, you may have left with more questions than answers. But we also said that we'd explore these themes more deeply, and that starts today. Specifically this morning, we're going to wrestle with points two, three, and four. Satan causes havoc, God is sovereign, and we don't know everything. 
So what exactly is Satan's role in the book of Job, in the rest of Scripture, and even in our world today? And how does Satan causing havoc relate to God's sovereignty? And what questions remain when we consider these two truths together? So open up to Job chapter 1, verse 6. Feel free to use the Bibles we have here if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we go further, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for gathering us here. Uh, New faces, old faces, people we know well, people we just met for the first time. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us here to this room to worship you. And I pray that our worship would be honoring to you. I pray that this morning would be building up for us, that through your word and, and by your spirit, you would give us the challenge and encouragement and conviction and reminders that we all need from time to time. Father, thank you for the gift of communion, that built-in reminder every single week of Christ's broken body and shed blood. Thank you that you've called us as brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of our differences, regardless of our backstories and our baggage. We can all look at each other and know that we are all members of your family, thanks to Christ. So, Father, again, I ask that you be with us as we worship, be with us as we read, Father, we ask that this morning be glorifying to you and helpful for us. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to start in Job chapter 1, verse 6, which is a passage we read last week. We're going to read it again today. And then we're also going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We kind of briefly summarized that passage last week, but we didn't read it verse by verse. So, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Jumping forward to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Again, sounds just like chapter 1. Verse 3, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, 
All that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. So let's start with point number two, theme number two of the book of Job, and that Satan causes havoc. You know, most of what we know about Satan comes from the New Testament. Job is one of the few times that Satan appears in the Old Testament. But based on the devastation and chaos he brings about in Job's life, it's safe to say from this passage alone that Satan specializes in causing havoc. Despite what the Rolling Stones may tell you, the devil does not deserve our sympathy. Because if you read the rest of Scripture, you'll see that Satan is an expert in the areas of sin and destruction. In a way, Satan is the first sinner. He was created by God as a good angel, but he rebelled against God's rule and brought other originally good angels into rebellion with him. He's been causing havoc ever since. In Genesis 3, Satan takes the form of a serpent and tempts Adam and Eve to rebel against God. Sadly, Satan's efforts were a success in that story, and we've been dealing with the ripple effects ever since. In Matthew 4, Satan is up to his old tricks again, tempting Jesus to stray from the mission that God the Father had given him. Thankfully, this time around, things ended a lot differently. Adam and Eve gave in to Satan's power. But Jesus didn't. And then there's those countless other stories from the arrest of the Gospels where Jesus regularly confronts Satan and his demons, doing people great harm. But time and time and time again, they are no match for Jesus. The Gospel of Luke even tells us that Satan was involved in Judas' betrayal of Jesus. And admittedly, when Jesus is arrested... Tried, crucified, buried, it appears that Satan has won. Things don't look too good for Jesus. But then three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead. Scripture describes Satan as a murderer, the father of lies, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is consistently opposed to God and consistently opposed to mankind. And followers of Christ should still take him seriously. C.S. Lewis once wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So in other words, we Christians shouldn't walk around constantly fearing that the devil is going to jump out from behind a tree and attack us. However, we also shouldn't take Satan lightly. He causes havoc. He's a powerful enemy. Just ask Job. But he's also a defeated enemy, thanks to the death and resurrection of Christ. He may cause chaos and havoc now, but he does not win in the end. The Puritans put it this way in their book, The Valley of Vision. 
They said, Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe, who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. Again, Satan is real. He's still around. He still causes havoc in the lives of God's people and in our world. Again, that doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens is a work of the devil. However, we'd also be foolish, naive, to think that Satan is harmless. He may be a vanquished foe, but he's still a foe. But believe it or not, there's lots of debate about whether the accuser we just read about in the book of Job is really even Satan at all. Some argue that the accuser here isn't Satan himself. Instead, he's one of God's angels sent to spy out what humanity is up to. Some people mention that in the original language, Satan is not presented as the accuser's proper name. It's more of just a title or a description. Your Bible may even have a note about how this could be translated the Satan with a lowercase s rather than Satan with a capital S. Now, personally, I don't buy the theory that the accuser of Job is an angel. Why not? Well, number one, the accuser isn't included in the same category of the sons of God. He's introduced separately. You read there that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. He seems to be in a different category. And then on top of that, there seems to be a level of irreverence, arrogance, and animosity in the accuser's conversation with God. He has the audacity to question God's judgment. He suggests that Job somehow has God fooled. But then I also doesn't seem to be a fan of Job. He assumes the worst about Job, unfairly and inaccurately doubting Job's motives. What did we just say about Satan? That he's opposed to God and he's opposed to mankind. And that seems to be what the accuser is doing here. And then historically, the most common interpretation of Job is that the accuser is Satan himself. Many of our greatest thinkers in the Christian faith and most godly interpreters have agreed that we're talking about Satan in these verses. So while this isn't something for Christians to divide over, count me among those who believe the accuser of Job is Satan himself. I could be wrong, but the accuser looks less like an angel and more like the devil we read about through Scripture. But regardless of all the technical details of the book of Job, Christians today should still be on their guard against Satan's works. Again, I don't believe Satan works in our world today in the exact same way he's presented in the book of Job. I don't think the book of Job is meant to teach us that Satan and God are getting into bets with our lives hanging in the balance. However, I do believe that Satan is still up to no good. Because to this very day, he still opposes God. And he still opposes humanity. And we should not take him lightly. But we keep in mind that we rejoice in the fact that he's no match for God in the book of Job. He's no match for God today. And his defeat is certain in light of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's point number two, Satan causes havoc, but let's go to point number three, God is sovereign. And you can keep your Bibles open to chapters one and two. 
You know, it's important to reemphasize what we saw last week, something that we Christians sometimes tend to get wrong. We sometimes falsely believe that Satan is equal to God, but he's not. Maybe you've seen the picture on the screen going around on Facebook, and it's that classic picture that says, if you want Jesus to win, you need to share this or like this. And if you keep scrolling, Satan's going to win. And so you're looking at it, you're thinking, you know, I don't really think that's right, but I don't want Satan to win, and so I better like it. I better share it. That's not how it works. And this picture is not how it works. In this picture, it appears as though Satan might have the upper hand. He's got bigger muscles. He seems to be trying a lot harder. He's gritting his teeth. And you look at this picture and think, oh my gosh, who's going to win? I don't know if Jesus is going to win or Satan's going to win. I better like it just to make sure. That's not how it works. That is not Satan's relationship to God. The relationship between God and Satan is more accurately presented in a passage like Psalm 66, 1 through 3. It says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. These two are not equal. And we shouldn't believe that they are. In Job, we see that Satan only causes havoc in Job's life when God permits him to do so. That gives us just a tiny glimpse of God's power, of God's sovereignty. Nothing gets by God. He sees all. He knows all. As we read a few weeks ago in Matthew 10, even when Jesus' followers are facing violent persecution, God knows how many hairs are on our heads. He is sovereign. What we mean is that there are absolutely no limits to God's power and authority over and in our world. Not even Satan himself can thwart God. God is never caught off guard by anything Satan does, or for that matter, anything you do or anything I do. Nothing surprises him. Nothing happens without God's knowledge. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future because he is not limited by the constraints of time and space the way you and I are. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. Now, as we mentioned last week, God's sovereignty, and even this image that we see in Job of God allowing Satan to cause havoc, that doesn't mean that God directly participates in or endorses sin and evil in our world. However, you may still ask, well, if God allowed Satan to do all of this stuff to Job, then is God somehow responsible for what happened to him? Does the fact that technically Satan did Job all this harm get God off the hook? Well, yes and no. Remember what Job said last week. He didn't say the Lord gave and Satan has taken away. Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. It never even crosses Job's mind that God is not sovereign over his circumstances even in the immense tragedy 
that he endures. Even at the end of the book, when Job finally gets his hearing with God, and God responds to all of Job's complaints and frustrations and doubts, God's sovereignty is emphasized. God doesn't shift the blame to Satan. He doesn't tell Job, hey now, hold on, I'm not the one who did this to you. If you want to pick a fight, go talk to Satan. If you've got a complaint, file it with him. It's his fault. That's not what happens. Throughout the book of Job, God's sovereignty is stressed over and over and over again. And yet, even in his sufferings, even after all the chaos, all the pain, all the havoc that Job ultimately holds God responsible for, Job still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In chapter 13, verse 15, Job says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Even when God allows horrible things to happen in our world, and even to us personally, even when it appears that Satan and sin are wreaking havoc in our world and havoc in our lives, God still deserves our worship. Because he's still God. He's still sovereign, regardless of our circumstances. So Satan causes havoc. God is sovereign. But if you put those two things together, that raises a few more questions, doesn't it? If God is so powerful, so sovereign, then why does he allow Satan to cause havoc at all? If God's powerful enough to prevent it, why doesn't he? Why didn't God somehow prevent Satan and his demons from ever rebelling in the first place? Why didn't God crush the serpent before he ever slithered his way into the Garden of Eden? Why did Job suffer the way he did? Why did Jesus have to be betrayed and die the way that he did? Why all the evil in our world? Why all the injustice? Why all the violence? Why all the pain? Why doesn't a supposedly sovereign and good God do things differently? Well, that, of course, brings us to point number four. We don't know everything. Here's my answer to all those questions we just listed, all those questions that you may have. I don't know. I don't know. And the truth is, you don't know either. Now, admitting that we don't know everything, and that we can't know everything, at least not in this life, maybe we'll learn more in the future, that doesn't mean we don't think. It doesn't mean we don't seek understanding. It doesn't mean we don't wrestle with these questions. It doesn't mean that it's inherently wrong to wonder about these things. But it does mean that there are questions we can't answer. And quite frankly, as we'll especially see in a couple weeks at the end of the book, we're in no position to demand that God give us the answers. A minister named Joseph Carroll once preached through the book of Job for 23 years straight. You think my sermon selection is bad? You didn't go to Joseph Carroll's church. So for 23 years straight, Joseph Carroll preaches through the book of Job, and in his final sermon in the book, Joseph Carroll said this, I have not yet attained a clear understanding of all the passages. Me neither, Joseph. After two weeks, me neither. I have not yet attained a clear understanding of all the passages. 
So to many of the questions that you may have about Satan's havoc and God's sovereignty, here's how I'll answer. I don't know. Because I don't know everything. And you don't know everything. Job didn't know everything. But even though we don't know everything, I pray that we know enough about God to repeat with Job, even in our deepest pains, blessed be the name of the Lord. I pray that God would enable us to repeat that phrase, though he may slay us, we will hope in him. Because he's still God, and he still deserves our worship. But here's something I do know. I know that the current state we're in, this world where evil and sin are still powerful, where Satan still causes havoc, where suffering still abounds, this current state will not last forever. Because the sovereign God of Job is the same God who sent his son Jesus Christ to live, die, and rise. And someday this same sovereign God will send his son again and Satan will be defeated once and for all. Someday this fallen world will be made right. The dead will be raised. Tears will be wiped away from faces. God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we don't know everything there is to know about God right now. But looking at the cross of Jesus, where his body was broken and his blood was shed for sinners, God has revealed himself enough for us to know and affirm and announce that he is sovereign and he is good. Speaking of challenging texts in scripture, Romans 9 through 11 ranks high on that list. And in that passage, Paul talks about how strange God's plan may appear. And how mysterious his methods may seem to be. He addresses those who would question God's way of doing things. Paul grieves over his own questions, his own concerns. He gives some answers, but he also acknowledges that he doesn't know everything. But then Paul closes that passage in Romans with worship. And he even alludes to the book of Job when he does it. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Satan causes havoc. God is sovereign. And we don't know everything. But I pray that our inability to fully grasp all the ways of God wouldn't lead us to bitterness or hopelessness or despair. But rather the immensity and the majesty of God would lead us to worship him and be in awe of him. Because what we do know about God gives us more than enough reason to worship him. More than enough reason to praise him. More than enough reason to trust him, even in our darkest storms. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the book of Job, with its passages that are encouraging 
and inspiring, and even with its passages that are confusing, even with its passages that are hard to wrap our minds around, maybe a tough pill to swallow, things that we wish we understood that we don't, answers that we wish we had, but the book of Job doesn't give them to us. But Father, I pray that as we read this challenging, difficult, sobering book, I pray that we would come away still just as much in awe of your goodness and your holiness and your sovereignty as we've ever been before. I pray that we'd be more in awe of just how immense and just how majestic you really are. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to worship you. Help us to love you even in our greatest pains, our deepest sorrows, our most frustrating and disheartening pains and sufferings and questions. Father, help us, enable us, remind us that you are still God, you are still good, you are still sovereign, even in the darkest storms of our lives. And help us to respond accordingly. We love you, we worship you, we honor you in good days and in bad. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.